earliest accounts about Jesus of Nazareth, his life, death, and resurrection, was written by a man named Luke. We know it as the Gospel of Luke, but Luke continued the story in a second volume. Called the Book of Acts, and it's all about what Jesus continued to do after his resurrection. Acts begins with the disciples who are hanging out with Jesus, who's just come back to life, which is mind-blowing to imagine. And then for weeks, the risen Jesus kept teaching them about his upside-down kingdom, the new creation that he launched through his death and resurrection. This is exciting stuff, and the disciples are ready to go tell the world. But then Jesus tells them to wait and to stay in Jerusalem until they receive a new kind of power so they can be faithful witnesses to Jesus and his kingdom. Then he says that their mission is going to begin in Jerusalem, then move out to Judea and Samaria, and then from there out into the nations. It's like a road map for the whole book of Acts. Then the disciples saw Jesus enthroned as king of all creation. Chapter 1. That's what we're going to be jumping into. So if you have your Bible... Uh, Open it up to Acts chapter 1. Now, I've been kind of giving you some, I know, prodding and pushing to bring your Bible. So if you don't have your Bible with you this morning, then get into your phone, get into your Bible app, or just simply Google this passage, Acts 1, 1 through 11, and it will come up on uh, one of the the different sites. So I want to walk through this this morning. We'll provide it on the screen, but there's something you can do when you engage in the word yourself. If you have your Bible, I encourage you today, write in it. Circle some things we're talking about. Write in the notes in the margin. On your phone, uh, on your apps, I know there's little areas to push, and you can put notes in there as well. So I encourage you to engage with the Scripture this morning, and I promise you the Scripture will engage uh, back with you. So... So if if you don't mind bringing the lights up a little back there, and uh, you'll be able to follow along with your your words. Now, the book of Acts, we're going to be walking through this for nine weeks, and we're only going to really touch on the first four chapters in the next nine weeks. So you can see we're taking it slow, and we want to see what's really in there. The great theme, the great theme of the book of Acts is the coming of Christian power, and it's building of the Christian church. That's what we're going to see throughout this book. And we're going to find that the Christian power, listen, is the Holy Spirit, right? And the, the, the growth, the building of this Christian church, it happens through the manifestation of that Holy Spirit in, through the Holy Spirit and, listen, in the life of believers, which means if we're going to see the Holy Spirit work, then it's going to have to involve those who call themselves believers in Jesus Christ. We'll see that over and over in the book of Acts. Now, Luke is the author uh, of this. It's a two-volume, really, book to Theophilus, or your translation might say scroll. It probably would have been written that way. And he's writing to this Theophilus. We don't exactly know who it is. We just know it's a significant title. And so we know that he probably had some position in the Roman Empire late in the first century. So Luke is writing this uh, to him. So let's take a look uh, at this uh, because Luke's first book is about what Jesus said and did. And what you could say about Acts, it is the continued story about what Jesus did, but through the Holy Spirit and through the believers. And so let's just read. Acts chapter 1, 1 through 11, and then we'll jump right into it. Acts 1, 1 through 11. Theophilus, the first scroll I wrote concerned everything Jesus did and taught from the beginning, 
right up to the day when he was taken up into heaven. Before he was taken up, working in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus instructed the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed them that he was alive by, with many convincing proofs. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, speaking to them about God's kingdom. While they were eating together, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. He said, this is what you heard from me. John baptized with water, but in only a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. As a result, those who had gathered together asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? Jesus replied, it isn't for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. Rather, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. After Jesus said these things, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going away, and as they were staring towards heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood next to them. They said, Galileans, why are you standing here looking towards heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. There's this little traditional thing that's said after the reading of Scripture uh, that the reader says and then the church responds. And we're not overly traditional, so I know we don't have some of these customs, but I'll say it anyway and see how you did. The Word of God for the people of God. Ah, some of you know it. All right, you weren't overly confident. You weren't sure you knew it, but you know it. Now you've heard it, the Word of God. For the people of God, thanks be to God. Let's just try that, and we'll add it into our series in the book of Acts. The Word of God for the people of God. All right, all right. Let's just jump right into it. Acts chapter 1. We find that in Acts chapter 1, it is all about being a witness. This entire chapter. You know, just a few weeks ago, we actually shared about sharing our story, sharing God's story. And we talked about Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And I was thinking, all right, if we're going to talk about Acts chapter 1 again, maybe I should find some other angle rather than this witness thing. You know, we just hit on it so hard, right? There's no way. If you're reading the book of Acts in the first chapter and you're trying to do an exegetical Bible study and topic, and remember the word exegetical we talked about a few weeks ago, it is letting the Scripture tell us what it wanted to tell us. There's no way around it. This passage is about being a witness. We find it in the very first verse. Look at that. Theophilus. Luke is writing. The first scroll I wrote concerned everything Jesus taught from the beginning right up to the day he was taken up into heaven. Luke is saying, look, Theophilus, I wrote you that whole, you know, he didn't call it gospel at the time, but I wrote you that whole scroll, that whole book. I'm writing you again. In fact, many scholars believe this is like a continuation of the writing with just some little break in the middle. And so he is actually saying, I am writing you because I want to tell you. In the very first line, we see that Luke is compelled to be a witness to Theophilus. Like he is feeling, I've got to tell somebody this. Now, we don't know exactly the relationship with Theophilus or why he chose Theophilus. But for some reason, in some connection God has opened up, he said, this is the person I need to tell the story of Jesus. And this is the person I need to tell the story of the Holy Spirit and the growth of the Christian church. That's what the book of Acts is all about. So we find in the very beginning, 
of this book, it is about witness. You could look at this book and you could say, what is Acts all about? Well, it is about a guy who really wanted to witness to someone else. So he spent time to write it all out so the person would understand who Jesus is, what he did, and what happened through Jesus. That's what Luke is doing from the very beginning. That's an amazing start. In fact, it prompts a question for you and I. Who are you compelled to share Jesus with? Like, is there anyone that you feel the same way? Like, I've got to sit down and I've got to write this out, or maybe you're not a writer, you know, but I've got to share Jesus with this person. We'll find in the book of Acts, as believers, as ones, if we ever say, I am, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit is moving inside of me, witnessing will not be far away from that. It's a dominant theme for the life of a believer. Who are you compelled to tell Jesus with? Now, he, Luke goes on. Take a look at it uh, right there, starting in verse 3. He says, after his suffering, he showed them that he was alive with many convincing proofs. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, speaking to them about God's kingdom. Listen, we fly right past this as believers. We've got 2,000 years of Bible reading. We got lots of Easter's, you know, under our belt. We know now, uh, you know, in our day and age, you know, Easter, that's a time I put the post on Facebook, you know, he is risen and all that kind of stuff. Like we've got all that behind us. You've got to understand it in their context. What Luke is trying to say here, starting this letter that Jesus has written, is he's speaking to the factuality of this. Like, we think about it in terms of the spirituality of it, you know, what it means for Jesus to be risen. He is talking about the factuality. He's telling Theophilus, look, this Jesus, you know, you're in the Roman Empire. You know he was crucified. He was risen. He's appeared to his disciples over 40 days nonetheless. I mean, this is what he wants Theophilus to know. That's really powerful for somebody to read. Intriguing. Go say, what now? Risen? That is what Luke is speaking of. Why is that so important? Because you need to remember that Christianity's main witness was centered around the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is today as well. That when they went out and they shared about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I mean, they were sharing something amazing that this, this person who they claimed as Messiah went to a cross, done with, over, right? Raised from the dead. That was the cornerstone of the Christian testimony. Sometimes we think, hey, the cornerstone of the Christian faith is the Bible, and this Bible is incredibly important. You know that if you hang around here. We talked about it all the time. But it's not the cornerstone of the Christian faith. In fact, long before there was the Bible, there was people going around for three or four centuries proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there was people that were so intrigued, they were so amazed that they left things to follow Jesus. Some left everything. So this witness and this testimony of this is so incredibly important. Now, Jesus kept teaching them about God's kingdom. Jesus was actually saying, look, I'm alive, and there's even more for me to tell you about. In fact, every once in a while, we'll say things like this. You know, it almost goes in a creed. We'll say, you know, that Jesus died, he rose again, and he's coming back for us. And we miss this whole gap in our declaration, right? 
well, what is God going to do right now through you? What's going to happen the rest of your life living out this Christian faith? Jesus spends time with them, and he is witnessing to them more about God's kingdom. And he can do it. Why? Because he is alive. Jesus continues to witness to the disciples. Here's what I wonder. If you believe, like I do, how significant that the resurrected Jesus is, do you continually put yourself, not just one hour on Sunday, but do you continually put yourself in an environment to let Jesus keep witnessing to you about his kingdom? Engaging in God's word, engaging in a time of prayer, being with wise Christian counsel, you know, being in that where Christ can keep ministering and keep speaking to you. That's what we see happens here. Now, one of the time, continue on in the passage, uh, Jesus actually says this to them as he's ministering the kingdom. He says, while they were eating together, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the father had promised. Now, what did the pro- father promise? Well, you remember, if you've been with us a few weeks, we talked in the book of John where John actually wrote. He said, look, I'm leaving. The comforter is coming. Remember, we talked about that's the Holy Spirit. And Jesus actually said, it's better that I leave and the comforter comes. Like, I'm one guy that can stand next to you. The comforter will come and live within you and can do that for everyone. So Jesus speaks in these terms. We understand the Holy Spirit is coming. But we also get this. Take a look one verse down, verse 5 in your passage. He says this, John, John the Baptist, baptized with water, but in only a few days you'll be baptized with what? What does it say there? The Holy Spirit. Is that intriguing to you at all when you read that? Like, do you read that and go, what is he talking about there? Let's be honest. Do you as a Christian read that and in your head go, I'm not quite sure what he means. But you don't think as a Christian you're supposed to say that because you're supposed to already know it, right? So you just go on, you know, with it unclear in your head. Yeah, I've done that with so many issues. Just tackle them. Just jump in there. It's okay to say. I'm not quite sure what that means. This was an intriguing passage. What is he getting at? The disciples, uh, they have received the Holy Spirit in the sense of they have salvation, right? They're not unsaved. You might, in, in theological circles, you might have heard the word regeneration, Like, that's what happens when we accept Christ into our life, this regeneration. And we actually learn in Scripture the Holy Spirit comes. So it's not Holy Spirit for salvation here. So what is he getting at? Why is Jesus saying they need a baptism of the Holy Spirit? There's no way to get around it in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is about witness. It empowers us. So this, this, I wanted to write it down so we could say it because we'll say it many times. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is an empowerment of the Holy Spirit where the recipient, that's you and I, that's the disciples in in this chapter, receives, get this, supernatural power for the expansion of the Christian faith. That's what we're going to find in the book of Acts. This baptism of the Holy Spirit that gives this supernatural power for the expansion, for the witness, and sends us out. Is that intriguing to you still? Would you rather just have the baptism of the Spirit so you can be more emotional, right, in your worship services? Or is there something more and even better God wants us to do with the Holy Spirit? I believe the answer is yes, 
And I believe it because of what we see in this book that's kicking off in this chapter. So go and wait. You're going to get spiritual reinforcement is what he's saying. The promise is coming. Spiritual reinforcement. You just go hang out in Jerusalem and get ready. Now, the disciples, they could not possibly have known what Jesus was talking about. When my family, when I was really little, I don't know what I was, seven years old maybe, and we lived in Southern California, and my parents said, we're going to Disneyland, we're going on Space Mountain, right? And I had been on a little, a few of those little fair roller coasters that, you know, do whatever. I could not possibly imagine when my dad said, yeah, it's like a roller coaster, what I would really experience going into Space Mountain as a young boy, and it's all black, and there's, like, laser lights going everywhere, and, and, you know, there's soundtrack and all this kind of stuff. That doesn't happen at the county fair, right? Could have never imagined. All I knew is I'm looking forward to this roller coaster. The disciples the same way. They could not imagine what Jesus was talking about. They only knew it was something big. Something big was coming. What big thing had they been waiting for? We've talked about this. The big thing they were looking for in the Messiah was the restoration of Israel. They wanted to see the nation of Israel return to prominence like they read about in the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament. So they were looking for that and hoping for that. And now Jesus has kind kind of, you know, shared something big that's coming. So what did they do? They put the two and two together in their head and said, oh, hey, hey, guys, wait a second. This might be it. This might be the time. This might be what we're talking about. So can you understand now why they asked this question? Jesus, is it at this time that you're going to restore Israel? Makes sense they would ask that. Well, in this particular occasion, their two and two does not equal four. And Jesus comes back with, call it a rebuttal if you want, but Jesus comes back with a correction. Look at it here. He says, it isn't for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has set By his own authority. That's an interesting response. Why didn't Jesus just say, not now, later guys, later, just just hang on, just hang on, be patient. Because I think they would have been like you and I are sometimes. Okay, it's not today. Tomorrow? Is it tomorrow? Oh, no, no, okay, next week? Is it this week, Jesus? Oh, it's next year, right, 2022. Uh, We would keep looking and we'd keep looking. And what did Jesus want? Jesus had just said, guys, go to Jerusalem, stay there. Why? Because the baptism of the Holy Spirit is coming upon you. Jesus is saying, don't get distracted. You have your purpose or you have your instructions if you want to think about it that way. I've already told you what to do and where to go. Don't get distracted. The disciples, they were getting distracted here on wondering, would it come? Now, Jesus doesn't say, now that's never happening, guys. You've read it all wrong. Jesus said, look, it's not for you to know the times or dates. Let's just move on. I've shared with you what to do. Because otherwise, they'll stay distracted. You know how I know that? Because you and I do the same thing. We even today can get incredibly distracted. Nothing wrong with with studying uh, apocalyptic literature in, in Scripture, with the prophecies in the book of Revelation. Nothing wrong with that. But we can, if we're not careful, get so distracted about the days and times, and could this be, or are we there, does this mean this and that, that we forget what is being said here in the book of Acts. Go to Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. That's what they know up to this point. Would you like, like myself, 
for God to just go ahead and spell it all out, what's going to happen, instead of giving us a little revelation and steps? I mean, would you like that? I certainly would. If God could just say, hey, look, here's what's going to happen, Tom. Go start doing this because here's what I want to do with that down the road. It would be awesome. What did he tell Abraham way back in the book of Genesis? Gather your family, get on the road, and then what? To the place that I will show you. Could you imagine going home today with that message from the Lord, packing up your U-Haul, getting out on I-40, and then God saying, I'll tell you what we're doing. Just get out there, and I'll tell you where you're going. Wouldn't make any sense, right? Jesus has already given them instructions. Go to Jerusalem. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Just wait. That's your instruction. Don't get distracted by trying to figure all of this other stuff out. Just go do it. Now, that rebuke, that correction doesn't last long. Jesus actually gives them some positive. He says, rather, instead of asking these questions, rather, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. If, listen, if they thought that Jesus was coming to restore Israel, right, and they were chosen, these 12 were chosen, a significant number, right, in the Hebrew Scripture, these 12 disciples, come follow me. They thought they would be rulers in this new restored Israel. They were going to be pillars. They were going to be men who had authority and power in this. Instead, what does Jesus offer? For them to be witnesses. Witnesses. I mean, really, what what we're finding here is that it's not power to dominate others, but it is power to win others to Jesus. Earthly power, that creates king. But what he's saying is only heavenly power can create witnesses that have authority in Jesus' name. That's what he's offering. Let's be honest. Let me just ask, would you have taken that? Would you have said, hey, that sounds a lot better than what I had envisioned before? I don't know. I know in my years of ministry, I've seen people walk away from the gift that God is offering through the Holy Spirit for something the world might be offering that they think seems a little more enticing or maybe even just a little more logical. But that is what's being offered here. This power to be witnesses. You could look at it this way, is that they're commanded, we're commanded to be a witness if we have the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, you will be a witness If you refuse to be a witness, if you refuse to to share your faith in that way or to be a witness to Christ's name, the question is, what is happening with the Holy Spirit in your life? Have you allowed the Holy Spirit access to your life in that area? Have you chosen to engage with what the Holy Spirit wants to speak? Now, listen, we've talked before. It's not 100%, you know, Holy Spirit, and you're out there, and, and you're just, you know, preaching on street corners every day. That's not what we're talking about. The Holy Spirit empowers you to overcome sin. The Holy Spirit reveals things to you that you won't see on your own. There's all kinds of manifestations of the Holy Spirit, but there's no getting around it. The bottom line is the Holy Spirit wants to use us and empower us to be witnesses to his name. Now, we're here. We've walked through this. I encourage you to look at your map. But Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, the ends of the earth. We're going to see this in the book of Acts. You can write these scriptures down if you'd like, but we'll get there. Jerusalem, 
That's Acts chapter 2, verse 14 through chapter 8, verse 3. And then he says to Judea, we're going to see that in chapter 9, 32 through 11, 18. In Samaria, that's chapter 8, verse 4 through 40. And then we'll find to the ends of the earth, chapter 11, verse 19, all the way to the end in chapter 28. The ends of the earth. Now, it's an interesting little word. Um, Heos is the word to there. So if you have, uh, if you're reading your Bible and it says to the end of the earth or unto the end of the earth, if you're reading King James there, the heos is the Greek word. And it's an interesting word because we translate it to, and it does mean that we're going to go to the ends of the earth, but it means more than that. It means more like as far as. There's an element of almost shock and surprise and awe in that word when it's used in this way. As if to say, hey, listen, you're going to go to Jerusalem. And they're like, yeah, all right, we're here. We're here now. We're halfway there. So we're going to go to Judea and Samaria. Well, we've been there with Jesus. We've traveled through those locations. I know where you're talking about. Oh, yeah. And to the ends of the, as far as the ends of the earth, there's this kind of element of awe and surprise. Even there you're going to go to. And some of the disciples wouldn't have quite had a vision or an understanding of we're going to go beyond this area. And that's where, that's what Jesus is saying. You're, you're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to go beyond. Now, you would know, if you, if you like the biblical history, if you read this, you'll know that there was a persecution of Christians that has just, is just down the road here. And part of that persecution was a thing called the diaspora. When the Christians were scattered everywhere in the Roman Empire, well beyond just Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, scattered everywhere. And guess where they went? All over the place, the ends of the earth, as far as they ever could have imagined. And they had the opportunity to be witnesses. We'll find that later in the book of Acts as well. As far as, I wonder, question for you. Do you have a small view as as far as? When God says, look, you, you'll receive power. You can be my witnesses. Is your like, view as, as far as, like way small? Like who would I witness to? Who would listen to me? Well, I imagine disciples might have felt that way as well until the Holy Spirit led them. And we're going to get to that in the coming weeks. Here's the last uh, verse there. You'll, you'll notice they were looking up into the sky. They're looking in awe. You might as well. I mean, let's cut the disciples some slack here, right? Jesus now is disappearing. He's floating up into the clouds, and poof, he's gone. I would be staring up in the clouds. I do that with airplanes when they take off, when they go into the clouds. I want to see if they're coming out anywhere. Certainly, I'm going to do it with Jesus, right? So they're looking and staring up there. And these two men, sometimes people just say angels, but we, we don't actually get the word for angels in here. But these two men appear. It's a little bit of a mystery. And they say, Galileans, why are you standing here looking towards heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Here's all that they're saying is, listen, you've got your instructions. Get after it. You've got everything you need. Everything you need to know up till now, you know. So get after it. Go do what you are already asked to do. Again, it would be wonderful if they knew the whole book of Acts now, what, where God was going to lead them. But what they knew was go to Jerusalem and wait. Be there. And so we actually find two verses later in verse 13, they did just that. They went to Jerusalem. But listen, don't get the wrong picture of what happened here. 
they didn't go to Jerusalem and go in the upper room, and it was, you know, lined with couches, and they just lounged back, and were just like, all right, Jesus, I'm, you know, any day, we're ready, and just waited for, like, the spiritual rainfall to come down. No, we actually know they went and they continued the work that they were doing under Jesus. How do we know that? Well, it was so important to them that they replaced Judas. Do you remember that they choose another disciple to replace Judas? Why? Because these 12 closest followers, these apostles of Jesus, they were the ones in charge of the ministry of Jesus. They were the ones that were helping with the collections and the ministry in the different towns and locations. They were the ones that went ahead and prepared places when Jesus, they continued the ministry on. And so we know they weren't just in Jerusalem sitting on a couch. God doesn't want you and I just sitting on the couch waiting. Hopefully one day word will fall out of the sky and we'll be feeling like the Holy Spirit filled us. Let's go. No, you get out and you go do what you already are called to do as a believer. And somewhere along the way, God's spirit is going to meet you. Somewhere along the way, he is saying the Holy Spirit is going to fall on you, these disciples, in a way you, you can't imagine how, what you would experience. And that's exactly what happens, and we'll get to it. Here's the takeaway this morning. It's a simple question. Following the questions we've asked up till now, the question would be, well, what are you going to do about it? Do you feel compelled to reach somebody for Christ? Did a name come in your head? Yeah? What are you going to do about that? Go find a way to witness. Did you say, nah, I don't really, didn't really have a name, don't really. What are you going to do about that? Because as a Christian, you're at an impasse in what God has called us to do. And what you're saying, I don't want to do. What are you going to do on that? Do you put yourself in a place? If you say, yeah, I believe Jesus is alive and well, do you put yourself in a place, like putting yourself at his feet to learn from him and, and be witness from him to you, learning about God's kingdom as he did the disciples? You know, if you'd say, yeah, I'm doing that, awesome. If you say, no, I don't really do any of that, well, what are you going to do about it? Because you're in a position where you're, you're, I mean, I would think you want some filling, you want some connection with God, but you're not putting yourself in a position to be filled up in that way. What distracts you? Is there something that you focus on instead of what Jesus has already called you and instructed you to do? What are you going to do about that? Are you going to put away distractions, find a new plan? You know, is Netflix maybe, you know, maybe it's time to cancel. I don't know. Whatever your distraction is, what are you going to do about that? Do you have a small view? God couldn't possibly use me. Fishermen, just fishing. Not the, not the highest quality in Jesus' day. You know, the most respectful profession. Hey, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And now Peter is going to be prominent in the book of Acts in the launching of the Christian church. God can use you. What are you going to do about that? This morning, I want to pray for you. And I want to pray that God would just open our eyes to where he's leading. Here's the beauty. If this morning we had decided, hey, we're not going to be exegetical. I'm just going to kind of find a theme and I'll tag a couple verses and acts to that. You'd have one thing that I'm sending you away. But you just had 11 verses, intricate verses that we read and we opened up and we processed. And my guess is. God could have spoke to every single person and maybe every single person in here and at home. And there might have been 50 different things Jesus is saying. 
challenging you where you needed to be challenged this morning. I'm comfortable in the knowledge of Christ that the unity of what he's, he's sharing with us all points us to the purpose of the kingdom. But that's what exegetical study does for us. It lets the passage through the Holy Spirit speak to you. So let me pray for you. Father, now we invite your spirit to speak to us and lead us in exactly what we heard. Father, we recognize sometimes we need your grace and your spirit and the prompting and the power of your spirit just to put the first step forward and do what we heard that you called us to do. Father, that could be many different things. But Father, if there be anyone in here this morning that says, I want to be a witness, may this morning, would your Holy Spirit lead them in being compelled to share Jesus with whoever that person is that popped in their head. Father, there's some that just, we just don't put ourselves in the place to hear from you enough. If the Holy Spirit spoke to us in that way, would you challenge us and push us out to say, I need to get in devotions. I need to get into God's word. I need to get with a mature Christian. Something that puts us in front of you, Lord. What distracts us, Lord? Lord, there's probably some tangible things that were said right through. Something in our schedule, something that we do, something we use our money for, something that we know is a distraction to what you've already called us to be and do as a Christian. Help us through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, to cast that aside. Father, would you expand our understanding of as far as, Lord, would your Holy Spirit just make our eyes so wide to those that we could go to and we could share you with them. And then, Lord, would we just go do it like the disciples, heading to Jerusalem, doing what you had already asked them to do, and waiting to be met with something supernatural that would send them out to do more than they could ever do on their own. Father, that is so intriguing to us as believers. We just don't always engage with you and give you the space in our life to do it. Would today we walk out of there, out of here, committed in that direction. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, so all we did this morning was take one passage. It was 11 verses. I read it a bunch of times. I asked the question, what is this passage saying to the people that it was originally written to? And we just made sure we were proper in our study there. And then we said, okay, what is it we can now draw from it for our own personal Uh, our own personal uh, um, putting into action in our lives, these takeaways. You can do the same thing with any passage on your own. You can take this passage and study again tomorrow morning on your own and do the same thing, and the Holy Spirit will still speak to your heart, even though we studied it today. And so I encourage you to do it. In fact, tomorrow we're challenging you to open up the book of Acts tomorrow morning. Start with chapter 1. Don't say, well, the pastor read it yesterday, so I don't need to do 1. Start with 1, verse 1. And read a chapter of Acts every day for the next 28 days. Now, we actually had a couple of our groups that that went through this already. And and it was an amazing little study that they did. So I know you're going to get some good stuff. A chapter a day for the next 28 days. 